0: Well, good morning everybody. It's Jean Nathan. This is Crosstown Conversations and um, we're going to have some conversations going on here this morning because... uh, we have some very interesting people, some, oh, at least one person, Jacqueline Humphreys, who is an old friend, know her really well, and um, a dancer, and as a former dancer, um, I have a special place in my heart for dancers, so we're going to enjoy talking um, with uh, a really interesting young man, <laughs> Donald <laughs> Williams, who was the principal dancer for the Dance Theater of Harlem, which is this legendary and fabulous dance troupe that the uh, New Orleans Ballet Association has brought in. And Jenny Hamilton is the executive director of NOBA, and she is going to um, talk a little bit about the performance they're going to do. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about this great new Downriver Art Home Tour and Sale that... Um, I'm directly involved with, and um, I'm really excited about it, so we'll definitely be talking about that. Um, We'll start the show, and um, I'm going to kind of jockey. I'm going to be going back and forth between things because I I wanted um, Jacques Morial, who's uh, one of my trusted advisors, um, to come on at the top, and he's going to come on just a little bit later. So we're going to get started, then uh, take a break and go to him for a minute because we're going to have to talk about this election, folks. I'm, I'm telling you. If you don't get out to vote in this election, shame on you, because this is a big one. This is important. We have an opportunity in this election that we haven't had in decades, and um, it's really, really important for you to Uh, get out there and vote. So we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in the election for just a few minutes and and try to make it clear why it is so important for you to not just you get out, but you've got those email lists for your friends. You need to be emailing them about getting out to vote this Saturday. Okay, yes, I'm a little bit of a, I don't know what, nudge. I'm nudging about this. Um, So let's get started with the The Dance Theater of Harlem, in my newsletter yesterday, I said, well, this is the time of year we normally have to watch yet another performance of the Nutcracker, which may be the first for a a, a child, a youth, and what an extraordinary experience it is for a young person to see that you must be doing a Nutcracker are you doing
1: a Nutcracker this year yeah well we do a Nutcracker you know New Orleans Valley Association has tuition free classes over 5,000 a year in the community so our Nutcracker is completely um, With the by kids? the community for the community <gasps> love yes it, so love we it. have 200 participants we they're no quote, professional dancers we bring in these are all students ages about seven to 18. And uh, some of our senior citizens as well.
0: Fantastic. Um, Well, okay, that makes it. You know, (laughs) you know, I'm just I'm always more interested in the new than the old. That's just my my uh, personality. Well, that this is definitely a
1: new. It changes all the time. It changes every single year. We've been upgrading costumes um, and doing some different things. So, yeah.
0: Great. Okay, but in the meantime, you have done this wonderful thing of bringing in. Um, uh, Donald Williams, who is, is, is the Chevron master artist in residence for Nordsea Nova. So we're going to talk about what that's all about as well. And, and also, um, the intriguing, uh, story of how you became a dancer because it's not a natural for guys <laughs> to be dancers. It is natural, but it is not typical in our culture. And, um, the, the Especially artist. Especially not ballet. Well, yeah, (laughs) and um, uh, unless you're Nureyev or um, who's the other – the big – Baryshnikov. Yes, Baryshnikov, who's, of course, famous from – more famous from uh, the TV series um, uh, Girl – what was it called? Girls in the City uh, or something
2: like that. Sex in the the City, City, yes.
0: Sex in the City, (laughs) right. right. Um, But uh, Jacqueline Humphreys, who's going to come in shortly, is a visual artist, and her son – was so jumping on sofas and flying through the air all the time. His grandmother, Faget, who everybody in New Orleans knows, um, uh, said, "Hey, you know, we got to do something. Get this kid involved in something, dance, or, or maybe." And as it turns out, they chose fencing, which turned out to be incredible, and he's a world champion now at the age of 11. Guess what? Jacques oh, on the line, so we're going to take, uh, we're going to talk to Jacques. Are you there?
3: Good
0: morning, Jean. How are you doing? I am. I'm just doing fine. I'm fired up because I want everybody else to be fired up about this election. And um, I know that you always know more than anybody else I know about what's going on. <laughs> so I need I need the down. I need the uh, the real lowdown on on what's going on with this, because I, I just want everybody to realize how important it is that they have to get out to vote. So why? What's what's going on?
3: Well this is you know we have, we all have, we always say that you know every election is important but this election is especially important uh one because of the challenges Louisiana faces uh, with everything from um healthcare higher education K through 12 a budget mess um you know governor Jindo has just basically driven the state into a ditch um and we really have a chain a chance Uh, to change the direction of the state, a chance that we haven't had in a long, long time. Um, So it's really important that people go out and vote. You know, if you support um, increased minimum wage, if you you support equal pay for women, if you support expanding Medicaid so working families can have health care, this election is important. It's important that you cast your vote and have your voice heard. Um, And the only poll that counts is the poll on Election Day. And I know that there's been a lot of uh, news reporting about... Uh, public opinion polls in this race. Um, and most of them suggest that John Bell Edwards is in the lead, but we always expected that this race would get closer at the end. Um, and I think the fact that, uh, uh, Senator Vitter, uh, was trailing in the polls, um, has incited him to do some, some very desperate things and to appeal to some of the, the, the lower instincts in, uh, people in Louisiana. Um, so it 's really important that everybody vote you know this is not going to be a runaway election, and it 's likely going to be decided by a few percentage points and so every vote every vote counts and if you don't if you don 't vote in this election, really you can 't complain for the next four years i mean you know by not not voting, you are essentially allowing someone else to make a decision for you and if you don 't vote, you really don 't count
0: and you know that 's someone else because this is the thing that drives me nuts. Uh, that someone else who really pours the money into a campaign of somebody like Vitter are are multi 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 millionaires who basically are buying the election from stealing it from the American people, and I, it, it just appalls me that folks don't realize that they are are basically being used on the on behalf of people who want to control. Um, government. And uh, the other thing that always appalls me is the people who complain about how terrible government is and how we don't want it. And so I keep trying to figure out, well, why do they want to be in it if they hate it so much? Yeah. And and, and they do. So um, I I think the thing that people need to understand is that polls are one thing and voting is another. So it's not a question of who feels what way. It's a question of who gets to the polls that determine the outcome of elections.
3: Exactly. The only poll that counts is the one on election day, where everybody who is a registered voter voter has a right to cast a vote. Um, polls are open from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. Um, you know, it's not a long ballot. Um, there are only uh, three statewide runoffs, and there are some uh, district runoffs. It's not going to take you a long time. There are not going to be um, long lines. Um, you can get in and out of there in less than 10 minutes, and it's not a whole great deal of effort to make your voice heard. Um, you know, we really need to turn this state around, and um, you the know, only way we're going to do it is if everyone who is eligible and registered turns out and votes on Saturday.
0: You know, when you listen to um, uh – The Bell Edwards, um, you really hear him talk about how hard he works and how he will do his part as governor to uh, really um, turn things around. So what I say to people is you have to do your part, and your part is voting, is getting out to vote. And um, that makes such a huge difference. And uh, to my cultural friends in the audience, because I do have a lot of people who listen to me because we do so much cultural stuff on this show, you know, we lost a lot of people after Katrina. We lost a lot of people of color who left the state and who have not come back either because they kids are in school, they found jobs, they got settled in, or because they can't come back because the bureaucracy of, of, of the getting your house back was so complicated and disadvantageous that a lot of people have not been able to come back. So in comes these thousands literally of young creatives and and everybody who talks about all the entrepreneurial and technological types who have come to the city, hallelujah, the truth of the matter is most of them are creatives because they they learned about the culture of New Orleans after Katrina in a way that they didn 't know about it before, and they 've been tri- they 've been not trickly they 've been streaming into the city i I really wish quite frankly, Jacques and you and I need to talk about this offline that they had uh, we had a registration drive to make sure that those youngins. I mean, they're coming in so frequently and so recently. I have, when we put a call out for interns in my office, we get people who've been here two weeks, a month, a year. And um, we need to make sure they're registered because we have to fill that void of making sure that we have a balance in our constituency in the state that we have. I, I have nothing against People being able to be conservative, I, I understand it, and uh, there's there's a rationale for it. There's aspects of it I don't like, but it's okay. You can be conservative, you can be liberal, just vote.
3: Um, but look, the democracy works best when everybody weighs in and everybody has a voice. Um, and the way that you have your voice is to turn actually turn out and vote. And as I said, you know, it's not a long ballot. And uh, you know, for me, the choice could, couldn't be clearer, especially in the governor's race. As I said, if you support um, increased minimum wage, equal pay for women, um, and, and affordable health care, expansion of Medicaid so working families have health care, um, you know, the, the choice is clear. And you know, I've, I've been honored to get to know John Bell Edwards over the last eight years working on issues in the legislature. And um, I really respect uh, his leadership aptitude and his leadership qualities. Uh, He's he's somebody who tries to bring people together um, to get things done and doesn't uh, traffic in uh, division and subtraction. And, um, uh, you know, my personal opinion is that uh, he would be a big governor and he can really turn the state around and change the direction and and govern it in a way that is inclusive of everyone um, and that really – Uh, makes government work for the people who need it
0: the most. Chuck, thank you so much for taking a minute to talk with us, and um, I hope everybody got the message. We've got some really interesting guests on the show today, and so I want to get on with it. But, um, yes, get out to vote. That's the bottom line. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Chuck. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right, so let us turn uh, back now to um, Donald Williams and um, along with him... uh, the executive director of the New Orleans business, um, the New Orleans Business Alliance. That's, the, <laughs> that's where my head goes all the time. Uh, the New Orleans Ballet Association, um, Jenny Hamilton. So, um, you know, let me talk uh, for a second with you, Jenny. Uh, uh, I'm I'm so blown away by the way the New Orleans Ballet Association has made a point of bringing um, some of the most interesting, innovative. Um, exciting dance companies from around the world to New Orleans, and, and h- how did that get started? And, and my goodness, how do you do it financially? It's a it's a it's a challenge, and we know we're not a, a rich community. to It's hard to raise money for these things. So, uh, why do you why do you do this?
1: You know, back we were, as you may remember, back in the late 80s into the early 90s, we were this shared partnership with Cincinnati Ballet and um, always had brought in dance companies, Leon Opera Ballet, the beginning of Ballet Hispanico in 1991. And at that time, Phyllis Taylor was leading the board of directors, John Tavis and I had come on as an intern in 1990. And um, at the organization started really assessing the need of the community and what they felt the community most needed in terms of how we could serve the community as a dance organization. So it was determined really that we could bring in all of these dance companies from around the world, the highest quality and, and of div- all, all diverse genres, to be able to really reach deeply into the community and also in 1992 we created this partnership with nord so we're in the 24th year of that partnership but it was all about creating an extraordinary accessibility to the art form for everyone in the community whether it was bringing in dance the kinds of dance companies we presented on the stage and the way in which we reach deeply into the community and all the neighborhood centers and schools and churches to continue to teach dance classes and movement. Um, but it really is about that. And, you know, we're just very, very fortunate that we have a cadre. Many of our board members, donors, people that have been involved for 30 or more years with the organization. Well, it really is a... Yeah. Family. Wild. Donald and I talk mm-hmm. about that. It really is a family of people, and um, people they become involved with our board, and and they become close to each other. And I think one part of it is when our board of directors come and sit around the table every single month or every other month. They come with a common vision and mission, and no personal agendas. They're there strictly to make sure that we continue as an organization created in 1969. The organization has been around for a really long time, in different um, formats and. But it really is about that, and and we're really proud. You know, we have Malpazo coming in from Cuba, which is one of the only independent dance companies in Cuba that's going to be here in March. Oh, we have can't a, wait for that. This I love fabulous, everything Cuban. they are fabulous, and um and then you know if that uh, Hubbard Street and Dance of Harlem and if Che Malombo these gauchos out of Argentina. Um, brand-new, really, touring in the United States. So we're really proud and honored. But, you know, this weekend is supported by Entergy, so we have corporations that are there at the table to make sure because they understand the vision and, and then also the integration of what we do as well. So all of these dance companies, when they come in, are all working with our youth. And even Friday, this is culminating a five-month residency with Dance Street of Harlem that we started in July. So 14 of our advanced students are going to be on the stage on Friday wow. with the company performing oh, that's in a work that, that was created on Donald in 1999 when he was with the company. So Donald's been rehearsing them in a work that was created on him by Robert Garland. Robert Garland's in town working with them. So that level of integration, so Intergy and Chevron and these corporations understand it, buy into it really understand that when Donald's in the class every single week teaching these kids, that it's much more about trying to make them professional dancers, that it's really about the discipline, the focus, all the things that are going to make them great employees one day and citizens. So,
0: Yeah, and then that is um, such an important part of advancing our whole creative economy is the professionalization of our artists. It's, it's yes. been a challenge to some extent in New Orleans because we didn't have – the cultural educational infrastructure that some cities have. We don't have a fame, you know, we don't have a performing arts school strictly, although NOCA, of course, is is very much, uh, has become the leading uh, cultural um, educational institution. But, Donald, so um, uh, it's clear to me easily how you uh, fit in the picture here, because as a dancer, as someone who was a a lead dancer with the – uh, with the uh, theater, uh, with the uh, company for so many years, um, and uh, someone who uh, educates. And I have a feeling that somewhere back in your history, and this is what I, I always want to know how people launched, how they got their interest going, somebody must have mentored you in the direction of
2: dance, or did you just mentor yourself? Oh, no. Um, I actually kind of fell into dance. Um, I was a, a street dancer. I grew up in Chicago, Chicago's inner city and um uh, i used to be the the kid in school who um always knew the latest dance step and when there was you know, uh, like when there was uh, assemblies or things that were going on in the school i was the one they would come to to find out what the dance steps were so that they could put a, put together a little chorus. oh yeah okay
0: let me challenge you for a, for a moment on this okay <laughs> do you did you know how to do the boston monkey
2: the boston monkey the boston monkey not necessarily the boston monkey I remember mickey's monkey
0: Oh, see, so, yeah, <laughs> I don't know about that because I used it's different to this from different areas, co- this. This yeah. was my thing too. I mm-hmm. used to. I actually even had a little stint as a go-go dancer, not in a cage, but on the dance mm-hmm, floor. Mm-hmm. With, by the way, my mentor was Irene, Irene Cara.
2: She I, was. She, we graduated from high school together. Ah! I mean, from 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 uh, eighth grade. We graduated from Is eighth that grade. Right? We went to the professional children's <laughs> school together. When she was doing the electric company back in the day. This is uh, before hey, Fame.
0: Let me tell everybody who Irene Kara is, for those who don't remember. There was the movie Fame and the lead dancer, of female dancer featured in that was Irene Kara. And we, we danced in a little club called the Downtown. I was on Sheridan Square in the village where I lived near there. And this was not my day job. This was just my fun job because I loved dancing so much. Mm-hmm. But I used to go there like at 9 o'clock at night and dance until 3 in the morning. We, would, we were the floor dancers. Oh. We would be out on the floor before everybody else. And everybody who was doing that were all, you know, Broadway theater people right. on their way up. And, um, yeah, she taught me my moves.
2: Wow. Including a, the Boston That is a small Munking. world. <laughs> yeah, we were in school together probably from 8th uh, grade to 10th grade. Uh, in professional children's school because she was working what and is she I was doing working. That? Do you know? I haven't I haven't I don't haven't know I, heard I much have about no, I, her lately, no idea what she's doing at this moment. I that think she she's was doing some, some more recording. She's oh, really? always been a songwriter and oh, a singer.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. That was
2: her main thing. She she was, she was she was a songwriter and singer, so she's probably still doing some of that. She may be producing some of these people that are coming up nowadays. She's a, a wonderful producer and I songwriter. have a
0: I have a certain move with my hips that I do to this day when I'm dancing That is harks back to something she taught me, which I'll show you after the show. Oh, I'd love to see I'm it. sorry, <laughs> folks, that you can't see it because it's pretty special, quite frankly. <laughs> I bet it but, is. Um, so, okay, so uh, back to how you got started. We still didn't really get
2: – Well, I started – uh, what it turns out is um, there was a program called Urban Gateways in Chicago, Mm-hmm. And they decided that they were going to uh, give six scholarships to underprivileged children in the Chicago inner city. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were the, – the auditions for that particular – they were going to scholarships scholarships to study ballet at the Ruth Page Foundation in Chicago. In Chicago, excuse me. And uh, uh, what what they did was they did an audition, and it happened to be at my school. 600 kids from the, the the neighborhood of Woodlawn.
0: 600 kids 600 came out for kids
2: it? came to that wow. audition, and they were choosing six. Huh. So my teachers decided, okay, you should go to that audition because you're such a good dancer. And, and the thing is, I used to do this dance called the James Brown. You probably remember that, right? It's James Brown, sort of yes. like a mashed potatoes thing. And I used to win dance contests doing that. And so yeah. they were like, oh, no, you definitely have to go to this audition. So yeah. they sent me downstairs to the audition. I got there. Looked in the window of the gymnasium, and I saw this man in tights teaching, running the audition. I looked in there, and I was like, yeah, no, this isn't for me. I'm going <laughs> to go back upstairs. I went back upstairs, and my teacher was like, what are you doing up here? She called the hall monitor, brought the hall monitor in to keep the, the, the class – took me down bodily and put me in the audition. Uh,
0: what was her name? Do you remember? Mrs. Miller. <laughs> I'll Miller. never
2: forget. <laughs> you see, there's a name you
0: don't forget. <laughs> she was
2: a tough one, too. She was one of those of tough course. teachers. Tough but love. She, tough yeah, love. exactly. She took me down, put me in there, and I was one of the six <coughs> kids that was chosen. And uh, then I studied with them, uh, with uh, Ruth Page Foundation, for um, a couple of years. And so then what
0: then kind of dance did you study at that time? Ballet, ballet it was and ballet modern and dance. From the beginning, and yep. modern.
2: Yep. Ball- yeah, I get uh, two days of ballet and a day of modern uh, every week, uh, they gave me a, a little stipend for my transportation because I went all the way from the south side of Chicago to the downtown area to study. That's a trip. And this is at eleven, age eleven. Wow! Right on the on the train. So how
0: did you how did you gravitate to ballet versus modern?
2: Well, um, actually, I I, <clears throat> I liked both styles of dance, but where I ended up at Dance Theatre Parlam, the the base was mostly ballet. I see. And um so ballet is really the base for, you know for, sure. for for pretty much everything. everything. If you learn ballet, then you can pretty much do any other uh style of dance, That's true. you know, because it gives you a nice solid base and discipline mm-hmm. that you need. Mm-hmm. Um but what happened was that at the end of a couple of years Dance Theater of Harlem came to Chicago and they performed and my teacher one of my teachers happened to know Arthur Mitchell and he took us back she took us backstage, went backstage and um he asked, oh, so you're taking ballet? We met him, and he said, you're taking ballet? And we're like, yes, we take ballet. So take your shoes off. Let me see how your feet, how your arches are. And I'm all dressed up, and I'm like, this man is crazy. He wants me to take off my shoes. Off. And my teacher's like, take your shoes off. Took my shoes off, pointed at my feet. He was like, nice, nice arches. How'd you like to come to New York and study on scholarship at Dance Theater On the Pride? base of an arch. <laughs> Ah, oh, what a story. Yeah. What a story. <laughs> and that's how I got started. And, it, I mean, this was after a performance that I saw at Dance Theater Harlem that they were performing at the Auditorium Theater. And I was really blown away by this because, I mean, I had seen ballet before, but this is the first time I had seen people of color. Right. That many people of color on stage doing classical ballet on point and being that good at it. It was Amazing to me, and it was the first time in my mind that I thought that I could possibly become a dancer. I was just taking the dance because it was an opportunity, and I enjoyed it. But it, I never thought that there was a possibility, especially back then, for me to sure. become a dancer. Sure. You know. And so then I, stay, I went to New York and started studying for a summer session. And then he eventually just took me around and um, brought me in and put me in private school. I left Chicago at age 13. And uh, he put me in, in private school. I stayed with one of the teachers, worked there for three years. He was already nurturing me for the company at that age. So um, I was in, already in New York at age 13.
0: Now, I want you to share with people what the dance theater of Harlem is, because uh, I, I'm a former New Yorker, and, and as my husband would say, actually, always, because you say you can take the girl out of New York, you can't take the New York out of the girl. And I'm sort of known for my New York style. So, um, But, but – It's a very important uh, dance troupe, and and, um, I I want you to give people here who may not be familiar with it uh, a a characterization of it so they understand how important it is and beautiful.
2: Well, dance theater was started in 1969 by Arthur Mitchell and uh, the late Carl Shook. Arthur Mitchell was uh, uh, the first uh, black dancer in a major ballet company, and he was uh, uh, he went to he was in the performing company New York City Ballet and he was the first uh, African-american to become a full-fledged member of a major ballet company at the end of his career he decided that he was going to go to Brazil and they want him to start a school there on his way to Brazil uh, he heard that um, Martin Luther King was assassinated so he felt wait a minute why am I going to Brazil? I need to do something. He's from Harlem originally. I need to do something in my own community. So Mm -hmm. he went back and decided to open Dance Theater of Harlem. Hmm. Uh, The idea was to change the lives of the people of, the young people of Harlem uh, by giving them the skills and tools that they need to better their lives. Mm -hmm. And basically he was doing this through the arts, mostly through ballet because that was his main, you know, that's his main main discipline. Exactly. and by uh teaching them ballet, it gave them like focus, discipline, perseverance, and and you know, not only the physical skills, but also self-worth. Uh that, that they could be whatever they wanted to be. And that was the idea. To open their minds and let them know that through art the arts can open your mind and let you you feel like you can do whatever you want to. That's especially going to be back.
0: A, then. That's going to be a great segue when we add Jacqueline Humphreys, who has just come into the studio into the conversation. But um there is there's anybody who uh has been involved with arts education knows the phenomenal impact it has on an individual to make art whatever form it is because there's something about the process of creating exactly. that is so self affirming right it just says, Oh, I can do that
2: mm-hmm. and doesn't necessarily and that's mean, what happened to you right it doesn't necessarily mean you have to become an art an, an artist it enriches you you know to 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 be able to do other things as well a lot of the uh people that go through dance theater Harlem, some of them start out as dancers and then they they become surgeons later on, uh, the, one of the top surgeons at Columbia Presbyterian was a principal dancer at Dance Theatre of Harlem. Wow. <laughs> He's full of stories. He is just full of stories. Um, has way a lot of stories. <laughs> I mean, so the, the, the thing is, it's that it just lets you know that, and this is how it started, too, is that uh, Dance Theatre was trying to provide the opportunities for, for people of color, because uh, there was a whole myth back in the day that... Uh, Black people could not do classical ballet because of their physicality. and he went out to prove that uh, prove that wasn't that wasn't the case and uh, uh, eventually that be, that was became on the back burner because we dance theater just be, be started to make want to make quality dance and, and become and, a, a big arts presence
0: and and, in the and also um, uh, original and creative. Uh, performances and 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 um, compositions. I mean, that was one of the things that always was important to me. Uh, right. Is is the fact that they 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 did classical work uh, exactly. by other uh, you know traditional um, choreographers, but they they also did uh, new and original
2: work. Exactly, and I mean, Dan Theatre Harlem had a, had a, a Balanchine base because Arthur Mitchell came from New York City Ballet, and Balanchine was his mentor to start the company. Um, but also, one of the great things about the company was them innovating and using classical ballet to open other 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 uh, people's minds to other types of dance as well and including everyone in 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 the uh, idea and in the performances as well so so what
0: uh, 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 this is a terrible question, but uh, uh, <laughs> Jacqueline was warning me she says don't ask me any difficult questions. <laughs> Like what? Let's see. Let me think about that. Um, but w- what would be one of your um, favorite uh, um, pieces that you had worked on uh, over the years and still is maybe? Uh,
2: what, um, what do you enjoy doing? Well, one of the pieces I – one piece that I enjoyed doing a lot um, uh, was one of the pieces that the, the, the company is doing here, um, Nubach is a, one of the ballets that's being performed here. It's by Robert Garland. It was actually <coughs> choreographed on me. And uh, it's a mixture of balancing, but it's got a little bit of of uh, 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 popular dance moves. It's a mixture of ballet, popular dance moves, but it's done to Bach music. So it's like, Doing you you get to do the ballet the classical side you hear the classical music but you get to put your funk on
0: oh my god I, really, know, so I hope I can get to you, see this you, because Bach is my by far favorite composer right and. It is. and um, other than maybe the Bowie or something. But. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, I mean, other than that ballet, there's one ballet that I always loved doing was a Jerome Robbins piece by uh, Fancy Free that Dance mm-hmm. Theater Problem mm-hmm. did. That was what, – what, what was great about it was the theatricality of it. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, it's sort of a, the, the ballet that On the Town, the musical, mm-hmm. uh, uh, was – made after, you mm-hmm, know, and mm-hmm. it's, it's such a great, great, complete piece, and he's such, he was such a great choreographer.
0: So, um, let's let's get to, uh, let's make sure everybody knows why you're here. Um, so, we have mm-hmm. a performance coming up Friday night. Um, do you want to, Jenny, give me uh, the particulars, and then I want to come back to um, something about the performance with you again also.
1: Well, actually, the performance is Saturday night, November 21st at the Mahalia Jackson Theater. Um, tickets are really selling faster. I think there's literally a handful of tickets left in the theater. Oh, no. (laughs) It's, um, yeah, we're overwhelmed by it. So that's Saturday night. There is a performance on Friday morning at 10 a.m. at Mahalia Jackson. That is for school kids. So we have over 2,000 school children that are coming. Oh, that's great. Um, Yeah, so, and then we have a performance on Friday night at Dillard University. That, too, is full, and um, that's in collaboration with Dillard University. So we have... So you're doing your job. Apparently. (laughs) We've got a great team in place. But, yeah, they're doing four master classes in the community as well. In fact, there's one going on right now. Robert Garland, who's the resident choreographer at Dance City of Harlem, is doing one open to the community right now as we speak. So, yeah, and there's a lot going on. But if they are interested in tickets, to to called right now, or um, Ticketmaster still has a few tickets. You I can't know,
0: call and be on the air at the t- same time. <laughs> Ticketmaster. Save me two tickets,
1: please. <laughs> um, also, Nobadance.com or our number, five two two zero nine nine six. So <coughs> Say that um, number again. Five two two zero nine nine six is Noba's number. And uh, Nobadance.com is that um, website for that. Yeah, it's, it's going to be in a fabulous performance to Donald. I, I think the repertory Saturday night is going to start out with Nubach. Yes. But it's going to really progress Um there's a Ulysses Dove work on the program, which I was asking Donald, and he said Dancing we never Dancing on the Front Porch of Heaven, which is such a classic work. And actually, Donald said that he had never performed that with dance data right. Harlem. i
2: always wanted to, though.
1: Yeah, but um, but also the performance closes with a work called Vessels, and it's by just created in 2014 mm. by a choreographer named Daryl Grand Moultrie. And so this was a work that was created for this for the new company. Of course, the company went on hiatus in 2004, but the School was always in place and going strong and training, continuing to train children in and Harlem. And
2: outreach as and, well.
1: Yeah, and the outreach was continuing. And um, so that's the reason why the company came back online and now has been touring. It's, uh, a, it's a smaller group of dancers. Streamlined. Streamlined yeah, company. You guys used to travel with about 30 something, 40 dancers? Yeah,
2: actually, at one time it was up to 55 members um and now this company is a, a lean and nimble streamlined version uh, uh it varies it started out with, with 20 dancers and now it varies between 18 and 14 dancers um uh but they're doing some wonderful things they're um these young dancers are defining what ballet can look like in the 20th century 21st century sorry <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so um and, and
0: Donald you are also uh, <coughs> presently uh, are kind of on loan to us here in New Orleans, can I say? You, you, you're working with our um, <coughs> Nordsee and, and NOBA. tell me what you're actually doing, because I, I know it's you're mentoring and
2: educating. But absolutely, I'm um, uh, proud to be uh, the Chevron Master Artist in Residence at NOBA, uh, New Orleans Ballet Association, and uh, I'm teaching the children here. Uh, I teach their classical ballet. Uh, And I help to uh, rehearse them in some of the different pieces that we do, like with Dance Theater of Harlem's residencies. I've been uh, rehearsing them in the pieces that they're going to actually perform with Dance Theater of Harlem. When other companies come and other artists come to uh, 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 set pieces on the the, uh, students, I help rehearse them. And I'm actually just trying to give them a a conservatory conservatory quality ballet education you know and uh, it's been really a real honor and to see the growth in these children and the 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 commitment that they put forth is amazing this is everyone who comes and sees these kids they're always like wow these kids are you know, intense. They're <laughs> they're really committed and really work hard workers, and uh, very ta- a lot of them are really very talented. And I'll bet you have some
0: stars in that group too, and some some oh, possible yes. stars.
2: Oh, absolutely. Uh, there are uh, a few of them who are actually uh, hoping to become and have very good potential to become professional dancers, and not just. Professional dancers, but really good ones
0: that 's fantastic. <laughs> I, I so admire and appreciate what uh, the uh, ballet association and and you, Donald are doing and um, i, I 'm going to as i say i 'm going to get off the show and, and make that phone call and try to grab. Uh, a couple of those last uh, tickets. But um, you're going to love this segue to my next guest, and I I want you to hang in for just a minute, and and you can peel off when you need to, so thank you for coming. But um, Jacqueline Humphreys is um, an old friend Daughter of one of our best friends ever, her, her mom, Mio Faget, is well-known in town. And Jacqueline is as well, although she took off for New York, so she's a little bit better known at this point in New York than she probably is here. But um, here's, the, here's the fun segue. And I, I, I mentioned it before for just a minute. So um, Jacqueline has an extremely physically active child who... Um, was literally, you know, jumping from bed to sofa to floor to the sky. And um, the question was, okay, w- what do we do with this energy? And um, it could have been dance. but you could went, have been. It could That's... have been because he, he would have actually been a phenomenal dancer. He well, might he have been is. the next Baryshikov.
4: He he loves his dance class at school. so And, and- – you can,
0: oh, so he does take dance. He too. takes
4: dance at school, and uh, you know, I, I think with uh, these days with sports or any kind of dancing, with s- younger kids, they're doing um, these you know uh, these kinds of disciplines in very intense ways. Lots of practice. I mean, so it's hard to do more than one thing. But so, but the direction that he went in was
0: fencing. Fencing. And you can yeah. easily imagine. I always think about <laughs> the only sports I really love are basketball. Um, and basketball. Well, ballet is based <laughs> on
2: the but ballet is based on the principles of fencing. Yes, they're deeply linked and they're d- deeply linked. <laughs> yeah. Created okay. by was it Louis Louis the 14th. Louis the Fourteenth. Oh and no, so, this
4: is something yeah. I don't know.
0: Yes. Yes. Fill me in. Fill yeah. me in. Explain and when that.
4: You, when you watch it, it's very it's like watching uh-huh. dance. It's all about. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. There's they like have to use footwork. their
2: turnout, just like in ballet, you know, and to to, to move forward. It mm-hmm. makes it easier to move because you're turned out. Same with ballet. It's they call it physical chess. It's yes, it's, it's a very balletic
4: sport mm-hmm. that that is very strategic, also. Absolutely, like chess. And there's a. It's
0: not surprising as I listen to you, but it's something I didn't know. I love doing this show because I always learn something new. That's just a <laughs> phenomenal thing to learn. Well, let me talk. Let let me turn to Jacqueline because um, she's not in town often uh, to show her work, and so this is an exceptional moment for all of us to uh, see how she has uh, moved through various um, uh, phases of her work, and, and I can't wait to see where she is now. Um, but you, again, this is, you know, one of the things I tell people about creativity and studying uh, the arts is that it's It's fluid. You don't just study this and stay that. You study this and do that. Jacqueline started off really making ceramics. That's right. And, you know, by the way, you, you know who else started off making ceramics? Frank Gehry, the architect. Oh, is that so? Yeah.
4: That so makes sense because his work is so sculptural. Right?
0: Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, and and also uh, you take somebody like Linda Benglis, who's primarily a sculptor of I don't know what, blobs and um, you know, all kinds of... Uh, the en- the form they call it. Yeah. The form, But she also has made ceramics. Yes. So I, I want to understand how you got started. This is always my favorite starting point is, you know, how did you get um, focused into art and then making it yourself into ceramics and then making that leap from ceramics to sculpture and to painting, rather? And um, I, I, so I want to understand that path.
4: Well, I started making ceramics at you know where I went to school, Country Day in middle school, and they had a wonderful art program there, and and, uh, and a wonderful teacher named Lori Lockwood who I really bonded Lori with, Lockwood. and uh, I found myself spending more and more time in the art room with her, and um, we did all kinds of fun things after school, like making raku pottery kilns and firing, you know, where you take the pots out of the kiln when they're hot and throw them into big trash cans full of Leaves or sawdust, and they catch on fire, and and uh, it was uh, you know I, I just instantly uh, took to this, and uh, and that you know did that for years, and in, in summer programs at Tulane also, and uh, uh, and I think I went to Maine one summer for a craft school, did, did ceramics there, but somehow, and I can't quite explain it, I did I sort of started to migrate over towards drawing and painting, and took a greater interest in that, and <clears throat> Then my mother took me, you know, and her boyfriend at the time, Jean Seidenberg, who's a painter here in New Orleans, um, they took me to Houston to see a show of late Cezanne paintings. And this is when I was oh, in high school, mm-hmm. and so I think that just sort of did it for me. And uh, I can't say I quite understood the work at that time, mm-hmm. but I knew that this was an important thing, and and there was uh, something about it that that riveted me. That you know, being told the importance of this work, that I really looked. Looked at it very closely and intently, and that was the beginning of my, you know, my uh, uh, ability to engage with painting and, and to look at it very closely and study painting and also make painting. You see what you're hearing here in this this uh,
0: discussion today, folks, is how critically important that mentoring process is, but also exposure. So for me, living in New York and my teachers taking me to the New Orleans. Uh, to, the, um, to the Museum of Modern Art in New York, MoMA, and seeing things like Picasso's Guernica. Can you imagine being in junior high school or high school and seeing Guernica, for example, this incredibly uh, both passionate, violent, um, you know, partially Cubist, a work of art that is, you know, uh, twice the size of the studio, maybe three times the size of the studio, what an impact that has. And and, and what what I think is a shame is that more people don't take their kids out to the New Orleans Museum of Art. I had students that I worked with from John McDonough High School, which is right on Esplanade. I mean, walking distance from the museum had never set foot in it. And that's such a shame that we don't make sure that kids get to see that work because just as that Cezanne knocked you out, and started you thinking in a whole different direction exposure to seeing the works these creative works has a phenomenal
4: impact and with painting it's especially interest, uh, important to see the paintings in the flesh and not on your iphone or in, in a book you know like the experience of painting is it's crucial to see it in person to actually stand in front of the object that the artist made rather than Looking at a you know a very pale uh version in a photograph
0: why what is it that happens
4: do you think to you when you're looking at that work of art well I, just as with sculpture we can't in a photograph you can only see one view of a sculpture paint i think of paintings as flat sculptures in a sense like they are things that are built um uh over time in a in a in a uh in a they're meant to be seen from one direction perhaps but There are layers in paintings which create a kind of depth and a a material weight that is lost or or neutralized with photography. So uh, it's, it's absolutely crucial that we stand in front of paintings and look at them. Also, all scale and size is lost as well. So everything important that makes paintings different from photographs is destroyed by photographs. So yes, we can reference them in photographs. That's important. But we must go and stand in front of these works and experience them directly the way they're meant to be.
0: So that actually leads me to the question you, you don't want me to ask, but I'll ask it in a way that'll be okay. So um your work actually does build on that those rich layers. I mean your your work is um I, I really don't want to describe it. So and, and I know artists don't like to describe their work. I, I try to get my husband to do it all the time and he just <laughs> it, it doesn't it doesn't happen. But um talk to me about the development of what you do and um, and how that really builds on exactly what you were talking about.
4: Well, I think, uh, you know, it's very related to dance in the sense that uh, dancers have to practice, and it's, you know, to develop new work, you have to um, go through a lot of trial and error, and to, to build work, it takes time, lots of failure, um, you know, There's a lot of, I think it's trial and error. It's not just knowing what you're going to do. It's a very difficult thing to manifest your thoughts in the world, and it takes a lot of practice and a lot of, you know, dedicated time of maybe not getting the results you want. So
0: I've heard a lot of artists talk about how um, when they get into a work, it goes someplace that isn't necessarily where you started. Yes. Um, And there's some kind of a a process that is a process that's, it's of you, but not necessarily directed
4: by you, the artist. Because there's a physics to the world that maybe is a not very, um, how would you say it, uh, cooperative with how we think. It's, there's a negotiation between what is possible, uh, you know, physically in the world with materials and such. Um, and Aside from that, there's, there you might discover things that you hadn't thought of that the material is telling you. Like the the, the material is speaking back to you, and uh, I like to think of it as a kind of negotiation, but also a collaboration between you know because art objects are physical objects; they're in the world. Uh, you know, our thoughts about them are really more linked to fantasy, you know, and then it's only when those say fantasies about what you want to make become real in the object uh, are they really thoughts, you know, and The thought has to be in the world and in Mm. the material. It has Mm -hmm. to be conveyed by the object.
0: So just for the sake of people in the audience who are not familiar with your work, Chuck I have to ask you to in some way describe it. So uh, I know that's the tough question you didn't want me to ask, but... um, Get, just make it easier for people, and they can be Googling while we're talking, and they can actually go online and, and see those faint images that you were talking about before. <laughs> and and then we're going to encourage them, of course, to get to the CAC, the Contemporary Art Center, where your work is going on view today? Tonight is the opening. Yes. Tonight, right. So, And it's going to be open for how long? I think until February. Until February, yeah. so it's no excuse, folks, for, for not getting out to see one of your homegirls, as <laughs> I described her in my uh, newsletter, um, and and what she has uh, evolved to. But um, again, just for the sake of an audience, we're we're not television. One of these days, I'm going to figure out how to be streaming live while I'm doing radio. I've got the equipment to do it. I just am waiting for somebody who knows how to do it, who will help me do it. So. Give me just a little bit of a hint of, of um, uh, how you would tell somebody who was totally unfamiliar with your work what it's like.
4: Well, the largest paintings in the show are um, about 10 feet square. Um, I like big. to work. They're very big, yeah. I like to work very large. I work in all sizes. I make small paintings, medium size. But I really love to make a big painting. And uh, it's. It, the, they, I often have, like, ways that I'll approach the painting, like sort of, Going at it through a structuring mentality, like how am I going to structure this space, and uh, you know, giving myself something to work with, in the same way that someone who wanted to paint a still life would be looking at, um, you know, something in the world that they would be painting from. So uh, instead of starting with an object that I want to represent in painting, I start with some way, an object or maybe some stencils, like right now I'm working a lot with stencils that I make in my oh, studio okay. and uh, it, it gives me a way to sort of enter the space of the painting and um, and there's again, they're, they're very I like to work very rapidly so I might, you know, paint a very large painting in a single day other paintings take months to paint um, and uh, a What's lot the difference the between those two? In what's going on the process and the outcome? You know, it's not something I really understand, just Sometimes I'm willing to accept what's there, and sometimes I'm not, or sometimes i I like what happens at first, and it surprises me like, oh, I think you know I have nothing to add to what's there, and other times I might like it okay, but maybe want to see how far I can take it I think it's a for me it's a it's a it's a process of sort of making those kinds of decisions and um you know about uh where how far I can take. The painting, you know, and sometimes it's just I can't. I know that I can't do better than that first pass, and I love the kind of freshness that our first pass gives. You know, sort of very imme- an immediacy of something just done, and and, and I never plan like, oh, I'm going to make a painting in a day today. It's always you know a lot of luck has to come into it as well. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but I also think it's you know when that happens, it's because I've just had more maybe an enhanced ability to focus because I really think um, painting is so much about. Focus and concentration, and uh, and again manifesting that kind of um, degree or of focus in the act of painting.
0: When you're focusing and concentrating, um, what are you focusing and concentrating on?
4: I that's that's hard to say. I think it maybe would be more linked to say meditation. Like when you meditate, you're focusing your mind in a certain way, but you're letting anything. Um, sort of run through it. You're not stopping your thoughts so much as letting anything kind of drift through your mind and uh, I think that my engagement with structures that I begin with they're not randomly chosen so much as uh, um, chosen to to allow um, something to happen in the painting that is what I'm looking for because it's also always what I'm looking for. I'm never sure what I'm looking for, what that looks like until it appears but let's say um the stencils that i'm using they they're in patterns and um you know i have this interest in screen culture and um you know the explosion of screen culture around us and our engagement with screens more and more in our lives and what that means what
0: when you say screens what kind of screens are you talking Any, about
4: anything from a movie screen tv screen mm-hmm, iphone screen mm-hmm. uh, electronic electronics yeah you know di- di- digital world and uh I'm, I'm very interested in on what effect that has on us as, as, um, as bodies and also on our behaviors. Mm-hmm. And, and those are habits, right, that maybe are invisible, but that can be manifested in a painting and some kind of patterning that conveys that sense of, uh, you know, how our interaction with surfaces, visual surfaces, has changed over time. Uh, it, it always strikes me
0: that it takes a lot of courage on the part of the artist to move from one um, approach to another. And, and some artists don't. Some artists, you know, they, they get fixed in a place and they sell their work and say, oh, this sells, let me keep doing that forever. And they do the same thing over and over and over again. And I, I just have no real love for that. But I think it takes enormous courage to move from, let's say, I don't know how I would describe your paintings. I, I, I want to say streaks of color was a, was a
4: very characteristic thing that was going on, and you would probably describe it totally differently. Lots well, like, of pouring paint and using paint in different ways. I, I experiment a lot. Yeah. Again, it's like, it's, for me, it's just I get bored, you know, and I always want a new thing to do to try to learn a new thing. It's not an easy thing to get paint to do what you want it to do. And um, and sometimes you don't even know you're just trying things, trial and error, until something grabs you, and then you create a direction through that experience. Um, but I I just get bored with doing the same thing, so it's both a blessing and a curse. But 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 when you uh,
0: stencils, I mean that is that's a big. Move really. I mean, it, to people listening out there, uh, maybe uh, they might not see that as uh, dramatic. But if you've been working with pouring paint and and now you're working with st- when you stencil, you're putting a stencil on the canvas and painting over it. Well,
4: I I I just want to say I I've used stencils here and there over, over the, the years,
0: uh-huh. I didn't uh, know but that. just
4: making them in different ways. Mm-hmm. These stencils that I'm using now, I'm able to make. Very dense, complicated par- patterns. They're laser cut stencils. And we design them and make them in the studio. And mm-hmm. um, so it just allowed me a new kind of, um, <clears throat> a new degree of, or just new things I could do with that. And so then all these possibilities open up. But yes, I drag the paint through them. They're, they're not spray painted, they're not used in the way that stencils are typically used. Uh, I, it's more a force, very thick almost clay-like paint through the stencils.
0: Oh, okay, I
4: see. Interesting. So they, they are patterned. They look uh-huh. flat, oh. but when you approach the painting, there's a, like a lot of uh, surface, a lot of... A little bit like making spaghetti. <laughs> <of coughs> <ceramics. laughs> or ceramics. Oh, <laughs> interesting, right. So do you feel that? I mean, you feel that connection? I do. I mean, every time I think like, oh, this ceramics thing is in my past, I find myself engaging with painting in a way that uh, mm-hmm. you know I, I did with ceramics. And You know, which is why I often feel like I'm making a flat sculpture. Right. So, Jacqueline, your show
0: is opening this Thursday. It's going to be open through, you said... February. You know, I'm not exactly sure, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> and I I'm think not sometime. either. And I can't find my notes uh, on on the show in particular. And, and there's another artist who has a solo show at the same time as you.
4: Yes.
0: And um, and I again, my notes are um, scattered, so we'll leave that up to discovery on the part of people who go to the uh, to the CAC. And the CAC has been doing such great things, uh, really. Um, all throughout its, its history, which is coming up on its 40th anniversary next mm-hmm. year. I'm so excited about how things have developed. Um, but uh, it's wonderful to have you here to do this. And um, I, I guess I want to – we have just a little bit more time, and what I'd love to have you uh, talk about is, again, we talked earlier with the dancer about um, how he broke into the world, and he had a teacher who – in, because he was a street dancer. He did popular oh. dance. Uh-huh. Uh, I learned that in, in the intervi- interview. And um, there were auditions for scholarships, uh, 600 people competing for six positions, and a teacher who knew a, of him as a, this great dancer said, you have to do this. He comes in, he sees a guy in tights. He said, oh, no, 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 I'm not doing this. <laughs> and she's, she takes him, she grabs him by the hand, she gets a monitor to, to do the class and takes him down there. My, my point is that... Um, there are influences in your youth that are so critical to moving you forward. And um, uh, and and you talked about your teacher, but there were other things that had to be really important in your mother and, and her uh, uh, friend who was an yeah, artist. Certainly. and, um, But what c- kept you going in the early times when you had no idea whether
4: anybody would ever buy a work of your art? Well, it... People talk a lot about art careers now, and I, there, are a lot of, there are many, many art careers in the art world. Uh, however, when I was in college, in art school, there really wasn't a such thing as an art career. There were a few artists who did well and made a living that way, but it was a relatively rare thing. So I, <clears throat> I never, it was not like a, a good practical decision to become an artist. There was no plan. It just was the only thing I ever really wanted to do. And uh, certainly the environment I grew up in with my mother and her and her boyfriend, who was a painter, Jean Seinberg, that was a profound influence on me. But there was also a lot in the culture of New Orleans in, you know, in that time in the 70s, <clears throat> which was very stimulating. And, for, and the CAC was one of those places. It was newly opened when I was uh, in high school, and uh, it just seemed like it was such a great thing for New Orleans. And there was, you know, not just... Painting, or you know, not just art making, but a lot of music going on there, performance, and maybe more uh, uh, what was considered more more radical or marginal kinds of activities in art making at the time, and and it was just a kind of center for people to gather, and and uh, uh, yet another layer in the you know the the very you know creative. Platform that New Orleans always has been.
0: Well, I have to say that I I love hearing you say that because you know having been one of the founders, it's it's gratifying to know that um, that was part of uh, stimulating you to to become and stick with and and be an artist, and, and we're so happy to have you back, as, the, as I said, the homegirl, um, at the Contemporary Arts Center, um, and opening tonight, and then continuing on. And, and uh, Folks, I really encourage you to go see her work, uh, having heard what she said about how she shaped up, and think about uh, the most important thing she said. It was the only thing I ever wanted to do. And so if there's something you want to do, that's what you should do. This is Jean Nathan. It's Crosstown Conversations. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week.